Weekly market update, freight volumes move the opposite direction of the clocks. In our headlines, a Grimaldi ship sinks in the Bay of Biscay. U.S. Airlines and Boeing ground all 737 MAX aircraft after the FAA reverses itself. FEMA contractor Lipsy Logistics CEO arrested for a cocaine distribution, including to kids. And FedEx doesn't consider Amazon a competitor? SEC filings beg to differ. I'm JP. And I'm Chad. And we discuss all these issues and more on this week's episode of What the Truck. Redwood Logistics is one of the nation's fastest-growing logistics providers fueled by industry-leading technology and a passionate team of experts. From multimodal brokerage and dedicated truckload to third-party logistics and TMS consulting, implementation, and integration, Redwood Logistics delivers next-generation solutions for its clients and much more than a truckload. And we are visited special guest in in studio today, Ellis Smith, General Manager of Content. Greetings and good afternoon, good morning, depending on where you are. <laughs> Great to have you on, man. It only took uh, 59 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> See you in a couple more. <laughs> and uh, JP, what did you just crack open, man? It's my go-to. It's my comfort beer. Um, thanks for stopping by and grabbing today, Chad. It's a 16-ounce Bell's Two Hearted Ale. Good times, man. Well, no problem. I know. I know what you love. Uh, Ellis and I are uh, are hitting on the uh, the same thing. Ellis, you want to tell us about the Igneous uh, IPA? This is a delicious Hutton and Smith. That's a local Chattanooga area brewing company. Igneous IPA. Uh, their dry hopped India Pale Ale will blast you with a powerful flavor of citrus and pine. <laughs> okay. Get it? Blast because yes. igneous, like volcanic eruption. It's a little play Way on words there, right from for the label you, there for you literary types who uh, also uh, enjoy a cold one. Speaking of blasting, I do think some of our headlines have a theme of um, tragedy. <laughs> um, but uh, we'll get to those in a minute. Why don't we uh, hit on the weekly market update? I don't know how long we have to dive into this. Because um, we've been covering it pretty closely day by day and week by week, it seems that well, the thing the the, the hook here uh, from uh, Sultan of Sonar Zach Strickland seems to be um, that while we have sprung forward, um, the patterns of volumes have not been following a spring uptick. They've been almost fo- following a fall, slightly slight downturn of about a three- fallback. Uh, yes, of about 3%. But rates seem to be remaining more or less the same, under 7%, which is a historic low. We've only got a little over a year of data, but um, that's as low as it's been. Right. Um, those uh, are some of the situations. Do you know anything about uh, uh, the, the L.A. ports and what's happening there? I mean, yeah, they're they're blanking sailing, so they're canceling, they're canceling ship. They're basically saying, like, okay, like, the freight that was going to go on this ship this week is going on, um, you know, the same, basically we're moving in next week. We're canceling a sailing. They're taking capacity off the services. So, you know, it's, I, um, it's, you know, vol- volume is down year over year. Um, you know, talking to the market expert, you know, the subject matter experts, the market experts this week, um, it was pretty interesting to see places in the country where capacity still is tight and a lot of it is right. you know kind of kind of n- normal um 
the basically like reefers in the Midwest just stay tight. You know, um, I think uh, Dean Croke, our chief insight officer, did a really good job writing in the Daily Watch email on Thursday um, ba- about how like the center of meat packing and production has always been in the Midwest, like meat processing, whether it's cattle, whether it's whatever. Um, well, speaking of the Midwest, and, I don't and they're shipping they're when they're shipping this stuff on refrigerated trucks. Yes, reefers so, like, getting tight. Av- like even in like like Omaha, Nebraska, for example, which they had like the biggest like meat market in the world for a, a really long time. Um, you know, t- uh, tender rejections for refrigerated trucks average like fifty percent for a whole for a, over the a course of a year. Yeah, yeah, because it's like reefers is all they need it's hard to find reefer sometime because you know it's it, all they want in the middle all, all they want is reefer and you can only say yes half the time because the supply is is difficult there's to achieve yeah. there's a reefer drought and that's correct well while um you know uh the la uh, port uh is hasn't completely deteriorated it, it's slowed over the course of the week uh now are we talking about ships coming in uh, i'm assuming or are we yeah. talking about because there's still, uh, the last time I checked, a huge backlog of, of containers that they haven't been able to get out of there yet. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's the, you know, the, an intermodal chassis shortage, which is apparently more real than... The, Are we talking about drainage? Imagined? Uh, yeah, exactly. So that's causing, mm-hmm. like, you know, containers not only to be filled up in the warehouses, but they're also <clears throat> actually piling up in the dock. Like, the lanes that the trucks would drive down... To pick up containers are, are blocked because there's containers stacked up to uh, to the moon. Yeah, and so that's that's kind of causing a pretty big problem. Um, and then that we saw for a while, and again, I'm, I'm you guys may have discussed this previously, but I'm just trying to get a sense of what's changed. Yeah, uh, warehouses filling up across the the west coast, uh, all the way up into areas where normally they don't see this type of traffic this type of time of year, all the way to Chicago and beyond, trying yeah. to find a place to put all this stuff that got shipped in maybe because of tariffs or to avoid tariffs or just just yeah, because, whatever yeah. the case may have been. Certainly. Are I, we still I, yeah. seeing that? Are we still seeing the warehouse capacity crunch? I don't know the extent to which. In fact, I think that maybe it's um, leveled off a little bit uh, just because of the uh, passing of the Chinese New Year. Uh, hmm. And... Um, yeah, I, I, but I guess where it has picked up, regardless of the exact why, th- this week is the Joliet Chicago, you know, near Chicago market. Uh, it's picked up six point one percent, and it represents what, what's picked up six. Vo- the outbound volume oh, okay, okay. Uh, uh, index that makes sense, and it represents four point six of our total uh, uh, market. It's a very large mm-hmm. uh, market, key market area, and so the Chicago broker told me that intermodal in Chicago is very clogged and oh. it's causing a lot of shipments to be taken off the rail and sent to truckload carriers. Hmm. So, you know, so it, that may play so, into your very yeah, question. So it's all, it, all, it truly is connected. Um, um, <clears throat> another area, and I, again, I don't know how much the, the hip bones connected to the, to the leg bone here, uh, but the Pacific Northwest has been uh, puzzling some analysts as to why it has been so strong throughout most of the year. In fact, um, it's averaging 11% higher volumes uh, than it normally does year over year. Um, and forty eight percent higher than last year, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, that that's really interesting. We will need to look at uh, the Seattle Tacoma port volumes to see if things are being moved through there because of the problems in Southern California. Um, 
that's really the only thing I can think of. I mean, I don't, you know, again, we'll, we'll, I think we just have to, we have to look. Does anybody right. have an estimate on, as you noted, things are piled up, trucks can't even get in and out of, out of these ports yet. Have they offered any type of ETA on when we can expect to see things normalize uh, out west? And then that'll probably ripple, we can assume that'll ripple across the country, uh, getting us back to a, a more stable market. That's a really good question. It is a good question. The, the port uh, officials themselves are not great at admitting that there's a problem because obviously they want they volumes. don't want people to go to another port. Exactly. I mean, right. uh, keep coming to LA. It's great. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Oh, the, where's your container? Yeah, I mean, whatever. we'll find it <laughs> eventually. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, it's 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 really it's really hard to say. I think what you want to do, you want to keep an eye on um, dwell times. Hmm for containers on the port before they get taken somewhere else. We're also going to look at the frequency of regional moves out of L.A. Like mm. the fact that, you know, and I think Strickland pointed this out last week in his chart of the week, that L.A.'s head haul index and Stockton's head haul index have become perfectly, almost perfectly, in- negatively correlated, meaning that as – as LA became more head holly, sending more out than it was taking in, Stockton became more back holly, taking in more than it was putting out. He was pointing that out like three or four weeks ago. That was when I, we not, first not so much in. last week. And I'm just trying to just just say that just because I I don't know if he's seen that current correlation right now. It um, was the chart of the week last week, and it'll be. It was, It'll Negative point nine nine. We may even be seeing sort of a comma right now. I mean, as you know, maybe some of the the influx coming in from Asia has slowed to normal levels, and we are gonna we're gonna see sort of a pause and the uh, and things building up, and and hopefully within the next couple of weeks we'll see things moving yeah, out and, it, and and the sort of back the backlog. It's really hard to kind of get beyond like the normal talking points of, you know, trade uncertainty and what that yeah. does. I mean, you know, every time the stock market goes up or down, everyone's like, oh, trade hopes, oh, trade fears. Like, you know, it's it's almost like a meme or a joke now. Um, but the stuff will still move, even if it goes to retail and they have to discount it or has to go to the dollar store instead of the Best Buy. I mean, right. this stuff still needs to get out of warehouses. Yeah, because there's simple – like in the major markets, including Juliet and including Ontario and including even, you know, Savannah, um, they simply cannot build warehouse capacity fast enough. The absorption rate is, you know, the, essentially even as they add like a million square feet a year, the um, the vacancy rate keeps going down. They can't build that back up. It seems like, you know, much like last year, I mean, these are completely different years, but last year for the first half of the year, there was this talking point of the capacity crunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the year yeah. of the capacity crunch we were saying for the first half of the year uh, until things really changed. This is a, a different kind of crunch. It's not, capa- but it, it's, it's warehouse capacity. Yeah. 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 Okay. Right. Uh, and it seems to be trending in, this is going to be a story for, for, you know, I think, you know, the, the short term future, year, maybe sure. maybe yeah. the first half of the and year, d- d- depending on what else happens with tariffs, whether it's Trump talking about um, European automobiles, whether we start looking at you know agricultural products from South America, who knows? Um, I think w- what's been demonstrated is that these you know protectionist maneuvers can really de- you know 
decouple free patterns from normal economic activity. You like, also can't build warehouse capacity with the expectation that things are going to continue as they have been uh, with this sort of unnatural uh, – these these big pulls or pushes from mm-hmm. Asia in anticipation of, of tariffs getting rolled out. You can't double your warehouse capacity, do a huge CapEx spend because eventually it's going to get sorted out and the American consumer is going to consume the same amount. Right. right. I like yeah. that you point that out. It's kind of what we're seeing to some extent with the uh, the freight market right now. Like, the, exactly. there's they, boy, did they, you know, a lot of the uh, s- smaller to mid-sized carriers purchased lots of lots, lots of, of extra capacity. As oh, if it we're... was going to be July forever. <laughs> right. right. July uh, of 2018. Forever. And right. then September happened. Right. right. And its uh, freights have been relatively down more or less since then. You know, I is I think we've that, that's a good overall playbook. You know, what I, what I'm excited to talk about is um, you know, what our headlines, we've got uh a sinking ship, um a crashed plane, uh and, you know, um uh, uh, another whole company that may be up in flames due to some irresponsible behavior yeah. uh alleged and uh and denial. So like uh like these are some fantastic yeah, headlines. Dude, you, a fiery you, week in freight. You must have been in a really dark place when you put, <laughs> you put today's agenda. Well, together, part so. of it was my fault. I was looking at, uh, and this is from my, my background. The of Ellis. My background is a little bit in the uh, consumer news, so newspapers, things like that. And we, if it bleeds, it leads. Uh, what yeah. we mean by that is people are going to click. They say, oh, well, you guys don't write enough positive news. Oh. But then if you, you do a – you know, there's somebody who shoots a bunch of people, whatever, you put that story anywhere on your website and it just gets clicks. A ship – same thing in freight. A ship catches fire. People are interested in that. And I, yeah. I do track that. I track what people are interested in. And you guys were interested in – uh, crashing ships, crashing companies, crashing planes. If it <laughs> yeah. crashes, you're clicking on it. We're just giving you what you click on and what you want. And so what we're what, what we're having here is uh, there was a, we don't have a lot of details of the story. There's a fire uh, on board a uh, Conroe. JP, you know a lot about um, maritime. What's a Conroe? Conroe? I actually don't know what that it's means. A, well, I'm surprised. Container and roll on, roll on. Oh, oh roll. sorry, you lose a Vest. point. Oh, I know, I know, I know what Roro. Roll on, roll off. Row, row is what well, my two-year-old says. Well, this is very close. Yeah. Thanks for playing. So is uh, that for? Is that for? <laughs> okay, d- it's okay that you missed something. You're, you're still smart. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, wow. Fortunately, everybody, what do you think? Okay, all 26 crew members and a passenger were rescued. Yay! By so this is a good news story. But the fire broke out on March 10th on the open deck of the vessel where the container cargo is stowed. Now. Now, this was um, on the Grimaldi, right? Did we yes, mention that? Yes. Um, so uh, that's about all we know. <laughs> well, we, um, we, that's all we know, but, but we, we can speculate. <laughs> yeah, the, the best, so it's a, the, yes. a Grimaldi ship, the, the Grand America, um, the, the Bay of Biscay, so off the, off the coast of France on the, in the, on the, in the Atlantic. Um, I guess it was going from Africa to Europe. Um, um <clears throat> It's you know it's interesting you know how these maritime disasters happen. I mean, ships, which as Ellis pointed out earlier, you know, typically surrounded by water. If everything's going correctly, they should be surrounded by water. Um, <laughs> weird that they catch on fire. Weird that they can't. These fires can't be extinguished. You have with, a, literally an unlimited supply of water. You, you but j- the the water's undrinkable. 
Don't so mention there is that. Don't put that fire. But we have flammable. Oh, okay. The fire doesn't drink the water, but it, it does get quenched by it, one would think. So, um, so my question was, it's 2019. Um, you know, we have uh, satellites in orbit. We've, we've landed a man on the moon, uh, you know, 60 years ago. We can't have little pipes running up on on ships from the, the, the from the ocean itself little, a little pump we haven't invented a pump strong enough to pump the seawater up into the vessel to spray well, onto it, in it case you know of there's fire. some fires that, that don't get put out as easily as others i suppose sort of like grease fire maybe it was a grease fire or an electrical a fire because <laughs> a grease fire there's a container full of they grease. were, in the, in they, the were cooking. Maybe they were they uh, were their <laughs> bacon was getting a little out of hand yeah, my <laughs> my the speculation getting into the speculation yeah. aspect it wasn't the hash browns ha- and, and and so to, you know disregard this so this is there's no fact to this the part of the conversation, but uh, had a conversation with a colleague very familiar with shipping and uh, batteries frequently a cause of uh, if they're improperly stored, yes. uh, not stored at the correct yeah. temperatures, or they're not packed correctly, they're not properly, if they need to be kept at certain temperatures, um, you know. They, oh, we they, just want to blame batteries for everything. They can, yeah. <laughs> They can they can cause things like this, and they are known to. And w- and I think another point to mention um, when you talk about them being incorrectly stored or packaged or whatever, exposed to temperatures outside of their you know sort of what, what they can tolerate, it's not necessarily Grimaldi's fault, not necessarily the, the the steamship line's fault. What often happens, and this I, th- I believe uh, was what happened with the the Maris-Conem fire um, last year is that you know, shippers who have freight to move will deliberately mislabel hazmat or you know volatile shipments in order to get lower rates on Some extra cost associated so, with handling that hazardous cargo. And you know what could help solve that problem? It's something that is immutable. It's decentralized. <laughs> is it a ledger? <laughs> it is a ledger. Is it distributed? It, it should be if it's blockchain. Blockchain could help, seriously, blockchain could help uh, with the transparency. And, you know, there's actually, we released a story um, this week as well about bumblebee foods tracking their seafood to, you know, help the... Is it being kept at the correct temperature? Because nobody wants bad shrimp that's gotten a little too warm uh, during the shipping process. We want the tuna sourced the way we want. Well, can we have our batteries packed safely? And can you we know? can we put a tracking device or or require you know the, that will track the temperature of that of that container inside the batteries that can explain what's in there? So perhaps they could pack it in such a way when they're loading the ship that it's that it's in a safe place. But Maybe if you did have firefighting yeah. material, it could be near that uh, in an emergency. Are these two? Are, is this too much to ask? But then again, to JP's point, would that raise the cost? Well, that. But also, you know, blockchain is great for like auditing a record and being like, oh, no, it really wasn't me that raised the, you know, that melted the frozen shrimp. It was this <laughs> other person. But when you have someone... Is it great for that? I'm, I'm not I'm not so that's, sure. That's it's... the only thing I use watching for is my, my shrimp temperature. Um, that's getting that sushi-grade tuna every yeah, time. That's, that's... that's why I owe so many Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> no, it's... But, but, like, when you have, you know, and again, this is hypothetical. We don't know what happened with uh, this Grimaldi ship. We don't know what kind of cargo caught on fire. But if, if it's in the scenario, someone is deliberately entering deceitful data in order to, you know, gain some kind of, you know, price, you know, for some kind of commercial reason, um, then, does blockchain, mm. I mean, 
if you just say Is these, blockchain these aren't smart enough to, these aren't, to if point you out enter lies. into the blockchain okay here's my shipment of t-shirts and it's that, really yeah. like lithium-ion batteries like how does blockchain help? That help is one it? of the aspects of the mutable, immutable part that, you know, it, it's like just because it's immutable doesn't mean that people can't fake it in the first place. And then it's still right. like, you can't update that record. That's so, a good point. yes, corrupt. So it would have to be tied like still very it have to be tied very closely into the shipper's ERP system so that they couldn't. You know, just like slap a different label on it. At the, at the well, end. I appreciate that point. You just undermined the the solution <laughs> of blockchain. There. Well, one but, of the let me let me let me throw a possible solution to his undermining of the solution. Hmm. One of the better products that I've seen. Um, well, I don't want to name who they are, but okay. but um, that you can when goods are shipped, uh, they change hands many times. They go from a boat to a port, a drayage uh, facility. You know, they they go to a warehouse and they go. To another, you know, and each time those goods are moved, somebody runs into them with a forklift, or you got people picking them up, or they're in a warehouse and somebody drops something on them, they can be damaged. And so the idea of how do you prove, just like who melted my shrimp, how do you prove who who damaged my stuff? Was it did it happen on the boat? Did it happen in the? Right. Right. And so you can actually take photos. And one of the great one of the reasons this product seemed like a good idea to me is because when you take a photo. Your phone can report back where you are geographically. There's a GPS. There's a timestamp on there that you can pull from your, you know, cellular time. So you're saying and you can you can tell who took that photo, when they took it, the where they took the, it, the, the the sort of identification number of right. that phone, everything you need to know to say at this time, at this place, these goods were undamaged, were and here's way. the proof that it stands up in court. And so if you could bring something like that to what's in my crate. You know yeah. what's in my what's in right. my container. Surely that could be a part, an appendage the of thing is, the blockchain is that, system. Because Marisk doesn't, for example, Marisk. I mean, Marisk isn't involved in this, but they don't know themselves. They don't verify themselves what is in these containers. Marisk isn't. They say if you tell me that's good enough, and I'll yeah. ship it for you at the at yeah. Whatever and price. you know, if something happens and we find out it's your fault, then you know other things might happen. But like. It's not like they visually inspect the contents of the you know four million you know container boxes they have. That would be ludicrous. Right. But if so, the customer was required yeah. to submit, here's the photo. Ooh, and, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's good what I'm saying. point. All the way around. Well, solve the world's problems. Done. No more at, ship fires. Look fixed. at how we did that on a scant uh, scant details of an <laughs> of a report. Um, we did just solve a lot right there. No, seriously, I feel like we're applying some of it our. It's kind of crazy how yeah. much how often ships catch on fire, though. <clears throat> crazy man, and what? How often do um, Boeing seven thirty seven Max aircrafts uh, crash? Well, the issue there yeah, pretty often. <laughs> well, once every five months, apparently. Man versus machine, and I don't want to make light of this because a, a lot of people did lot uh, of perish people did uh, in in two separate uh, crashes, but. Uh, essentially, you've got a computer that Boeing has put together that runs off a single sensor. And as long as that sensor is giving the correct information, uh, it prevents the aircraft from stalling during takeoff and landing maneuvers. Okay. If that sensor is reporting incorrect data, it might say, oh, you're stalling, meaning that the plane's not going fast enough to generate lift and stay in the air. And so it will point the nose down in an effort to gain airspeed, thereby increasing the airflow over the wings and gaining lift. Unfortunately, if you're not, in fact, in a stall and the computer thinks that you are and it's pointing the nose of the plane down no matter how hard you try, 
uh, you're going to end up crashing into the ground, which uh, maybe uh, that's what a lot of people think is what happened uh, to yeah, the 737. If, if you look at the vertical speed charts of both of the planes that, that crashed, they're really similar. And you can see where the computer is driving the plane down toward the ground and the, the pilots are <clears throat> managing to pull it back up. It comes, it, it goes back down and it's almost like the exact same like time scale as well. Like if you look at those two charts on top of each other, it's really freaky. I So what I'm wondering is guys, why did it take, I don't know all the details about this. What, why did it take the FAA so <laughs> long to respond? Why was the rest of the world community um, be, be already shutting these planes down while the FAA said at first, well, there's not enough documumentable uh, proof, and they continued to fly these. It's really interesting. I think politics kind of get into it a little bit, and I don't know how much I want to get into that. But. Well, I think that's a, that's the great Did difference they? between the podcast and, and the the official like editorial stuff is that like we can speculate, we can say like you know. These are things that we've heard. These are things we've read. These are things that um, other media outlets have suggested that, like, obviously we don't know if if it's true and we didn't print this. But, I mean, if we think of, you know, podcasts as, like, kind of the news behind the news or whatever, there are reasons to think that the sort of – Beyond the facts, there may have been some other things going on. So Yeah. So, are... so, 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 like, many, many other, um, you know, flight – you know, aviation regulatory agencies around the world were able to put two and two together before the FAA. Uh, we, it's on record that, you know, the CEO of Boeing called Trump, bef- you know, before they, you know, Trump defended letting the, the 737 Maxes continue in operation. Um, China, we don't really know what China, Australia, and the UK had all... Yeah. Led in France, I believe, as well. Okay. Well, the one piece. So I think the politics were like nine different agencies before we did. I think like the politics the kind of go both ways wow. because, on the one hand, I think clearly the FAA uh, acted rather slowly given the set of facts that they had before them. I think it's inarguable that they, um, you know, based on what happened with the 787 Dreamliner, when you had batteries. And, 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 Let's just just to clarify, the FAA never ended up acting. What ended up happening was that Trump issued an emergency order to ground the Boeing seven thirty seven. Well, he, he had to. We were the last country in the world because that the FAA never never did anything. Right? Who he he appoints the head of all yeah. uh, federal yeah. agencies I believe it as well. Was... It's worth it's worth pointing out. But on the other hand, yeah. you know, there were certain facts on the ground that came out in the immediate aftermath. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there were uh, I read. Multiple accounts of witnesses saying there was smoke coming out of the airplane and all this stuff. And, and so the I thought, Ethiopian air crash. So we thought, yeah. well, maybe yeah. this isn't the computer trying to drive the plane to the ground. There could have been something else. Then we learned the pilot had like 8,000 hours uh, in the aircraft. But the co-pilot had like 150 or something. Sure, yeah. It could, it could be either way. But we also learned, you know, we got the black box back and we learned that he was complaining of issues with flight control. And I think that was really the straw. There was another the report back. that came out in the New York Times saying that they listed at least five other incidents with this plane where pilots had oh. said that the whatever, you know, the, the autopilot was, do, you know, it was basically doing the same thing. Trying to run the plane into the ground, which is yeah. not what you want. Clearly not. Um, Um, And so, you know, there was also a great article in the Wall Street Journal, um, really well-researched and sourced and really well-timed, that was basically saying that 
this the FAA under President Trump has been quite passive. Um, and you past, actually pointed out the statistic on that. Over was, the past two years, for example, the amount of money they've collected in fines from you know inspecting airlines and and, and charging them for violations mm-hmm. has dropped eighty eight percent. Interesting. So they're like, it, there's a sense in which they might just not have the oversight and the sort of the, the stance toward the industry that they need to have. I was going to say, um, I think it was uh, as late as Wednesday morning. Uh, I I was I heard that the I mean the FAA was when they still had not uh, decided to ground these planes. They were saying. There's just not enough evidence. We've received no new information. And, yeah, and they were saying uh, even when we make our determination, the rest of the world will follow, which no. is interesting. That's normally <laughs> normally how that's works. how it works. But it, in this in this unusual case, it was the rest whew. of the world, almost every other country. The only other detail that I'll mention is that um, in its statement about um, in, in Boeing's statement about the 737 MAX being grounded in the United States, the company said that it actually recommended to the FAA that the plane be grounded. Wow. That's correct. Earlier, people had... We stand by the safety of the airframe, but out of an abundance of caution, we recommend that all aircraft... Oh, I saw that too. Yeah, yeah. Boeing's like, we don't want our company to completely... Well, then they lost $19 billion in market value. Yeah, it's weird because, like, if you think about it, you know, as the chief executive or whatever of a publicly traded aviation company, it's like, on the one hand, you want to defend your product, and you, you'll do that relentlessly up until the point where people are saying you're actually being irresponsible yeah. by letting these planes fly. If it's going to go bad, rip the Band-Aid off, take your punishment, and get well, it fixed, yeah. which they were already working on a fix because, the, the, the they again, going back to the single sensor that drives this particular function of the of the autopilot system – they're working – Boeing, their philosophy has always been let the pilot fly the airplane, have as, as few sort of helpful aids, if you will, as possible. Um, and so it's apparently the single sensor was was built out of that philosophy, whereas if you look at Airbus, those are highly – far more automated uh, airplanes that have you know a lot more electronics and gizmos and, and gadgets in them. Uh, whereas the Boeing, most gadgets galore. The, the Boeing has been more about let the pilot fly the plane. So now they've relented on this. It's actually a, almost a shift in philosophy, which is good because they've had two crashes, uh, and they're bringing in more sensor data to help guide whether or not to 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 deal with the stall system. But this is something they were working on prior to this crash. But I, uh, one thing we we were talking about uh, in our internal company messaging is I bet there are a lot more engineers working on this now than there were prior to the crash. I bet it's going to move a lot quicker. I don't want to necessarily open up a can of worms either, but, uh, like, what does this say about autonomous? Have a lot of sensors. Because sensors break, I can tell you, on my every car I've ever had that has a, whether it's a backup sensor or, uh, and I'm sure the airplane sensors are better, but you know how many times have you how many times have you I mean, been into the shop because your oxygen sensor is is going bad or there's something in your muffler that that well, thinks you're producing too many pollutants. You know, much like those Tesla uh, incidents that we were that were so widely reported last year. I mean, if you're depending on your brakes to stop when you're rolling up up onto something and they just don't, you know, it's gonna like, be bad. So well, I think. I mean, w- I'm not trying to be do scare tactics here, but I'm just like it also speaks to just. The, the, it, it kind of undermines the premise of level four automation, which is basically a human is there to take over if necessary. Well, it's like, yeah. well, 
I mean, how many theory, people? How many pictures have we already seen of people napping? Well, in, in a well, Tesla. Well, and in theory, it takes longer for a plane to crash itself than it does for, you know, an autonomous car to hit something, right? Um, and so, will the the question is, will humans actually have time to intervene and take over? And, and assume they have the authority in to intervene. Situation. Apparently, I mean, yeah. sure, these guys were talking on the radio. They were trying to fight the controls. The plane was exactly. fighting back. That's How crazy. do I? What do I do when I decide that the computer is wrong and trying to kill me, and I'm ready to regain control of the aircraft, that's car, crazy whatever? That you wouldn't be able to do that. Like so, turn it off. Yeah, it's uh, just disturbing. You know, like I mean, a little turbulence freaks me out on a plane. I can only imagine. Don't I can't, fly into Chicago, then. I can't. <laughs> no, I'm, well, I'm getting a little more used to it. I've gone through a lot of chop of late. Um, well, somebody else who is going through a lot of chop. Uh, <laughs> is that is, what they're uh, calling it now? Uh, it, <laughs> Lipsy Logistics. <laughs> it's, it's snowing in Colorado. <laughs> um, this Wide is, out conditions. I don't know how much of a laughing matter this is. John Paul uh, Hampstead yeah. uh, reporting on this. Yeah. Um, do you want to like give us an overview? Like, what's the story here? Why is it so outrageous? What's the fallout? Uh, so this concerns the leadership of Lipsy Logistics, a Chattanooga-based uh, you know company that has that creates water and ice, but also uh, has a trucking fleet and also a very large brokerage operation. That in in this the way that this company sort of works is that they provide water and ice. Uh, but they're based out of Colorado, is no, right? Chattanooga no, no, based, no, no, but no, no, no. oh, they just they're not lived, based out of Colorado. He at just all. lived there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. He, he. Yeah. Let me let me get to that. So, the way that this company works together is that they have ice and water, and trucks and brokerage, and they have these large government contracts to use these various services and goods for disaster relief. With FEMA primarily. FEMA, yeah, and and many state agencies as well. Um, and you know, like I said, based in Chattanooga, this story happened in Colorado. Uh, Joseph Lipsy III is the CEO of Lipsy Logistics, Lipsy Trucking, Lipsy Water, Lipsy Ice. Um, it concerns him, his wife, and his son, Joseph Lipsy IV. Who is 19. 19-year-old 19 uh, senior at Aspen High School in Aspen, Colorado. Um Basically, this week, all three members of the family were arrested for essentially hosting this sort of, you know, depraved drug den in their home, um, inviting high school kids over to their house, passing them platefuls of cocaine and pills and codeine syrup. Now, can I jump in here with a question? Or Yeah, go ahead. Where are you getting the platefuls of cocaine from? Um, this is that's this, a colorful that's a colorful anecdote. So this comes from the, really the, the Snapchat videos that some of these uh, high schoolers were uploading. It comes from also the affidavits from the the police in the police report. So they have actual video, yeah. of uh, this trucking executive who works with the federal government on disaster relief for folks in affected areas, handing out plates of cocaine to high school I students. I actually have a, I know this is going to like date me but or make me seem like a laggard, but uh, <laughs> Snapchat, I thought that they were supposed to disappear after 30 seconds They do, or but... I, you can take a screenshot. Oh, you can, yeah. Okay. You can screen record. And it seems, you know, I don't really okay. know, but it seems like the police have been investigating this situation for a while. Uh, and so, you, you know, you follow someone on Snapchat, you know, you could... 
You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, you, see, you can see a lot of stuff. There, there are certain screen recording capabilities that you can invest in. Yeah, there's, there's all different kinds of, kinds of things. Um, they have copies of these. Um, like, and so it's it's pretty bad. I mean, you know, it's like uh, uh, the with the police, when they raided the house um, in back in February, actually, they found like charred tin foil and powder mm. and crusted spoons as if people were like freebasing cocaine. This so it's like drug paraphernalia, they would say. Yeah. And, and they also found um, bags of white powder that tested positive for cocaine. So bags you know. of cocaine <laughs> and, and pills and a lot of other stuff. Um, so that so these were wild parties, uh, apparently, allegedly, yeah. and according to police and all the other provisos and that so you need. The, the CEO of this company was, you know, the, the the most serious charge against him is distribution of cocaine to a minor, which is in the most serious class of drug felonies there are under Colorado That's state decades law. Decades in prison, correct? Uh, mandatory sentence of eight to thirty-two years. Yeah. This um, just in. Apparently, you can post uh, stories to Snapchat that last up to 24 hours. Yeah. yeah. Long enough to sleep off the party, walk <laughs> into the police station, and show them evidence of uh, illicit behavior. Oh, yeah. and the mug shots are... <sighs> they didn't look great, did they? They're, they're, they're sobering, I suppose. They, they look like someone who was having a good time and doesn't quite know if they should smile. Yeah, and or... so it's, you know... I mean, we're talking about a company, Ellipsy Logistics, that had hundreds of millions of dollars of government business a year. Um, and that had won that business very competitively. I mean, it, yeah. had, had yeah. defeated other companies. who wanted, It's a very lucrative working for the government can be. Right. And they were also investigated yes. for ripping off the government, for not paying. Sometimes you know, too carriers. lucrative. Um, you, know, they, you know, without really getting into it, they don't. The leadership of the company doesn't have, you know, a, what like a squeaky clean reputation um, in, in in freight. I think that's fair to say. Um, uh, and now you know we th- this is confirmation of that. Um, I don't think, yeah, I, I don't really know. I would I would assume the government isn't allowed to do business. Well, this is our question. This is sort of our follow up. Is if you are convicted of, you know, the, one of the highest, most serious felonies that a state has to offer, and could be spending up to 32 years in federal—is it federal prison uh, or state state, state, state prison? Um, is that still somebody that FEMA would do business with? And to what degree would they not want to do business with you? Will they be canceling the contract immediately? Will it go back out to bid uh, at the end of the contract, and other people have the opportunity to win that? Will they uh, will they fulfill the, the current year's contract yeah. and then not renew, or will they still have the opportunity to compete? I, I don't. I'm not a I'm not a legal scholar. I, I don't know what the fine print says. Right. Of if, famous if, RFPs. If Lipsy, if Lipsy, you know, obviously Joseph Lipsy the third is probably not going to be the CEO for that much longer. Doubtful. Um, if they change the leadership, does that change anything? You know, if his would he still be the majority owner though? Right. Yeah, I mean, these are all really interesting questions. I mean, we're going to follow up on this to the extent that we, you know, learn more facts and have, you know, something new to bring to this to the story. But it's, you know, a sordid tale, um, you know, and it, I don't know. It's 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 interesting. I mean, it's it's a cautionary tale as well. I think it's for, it's for any sort of business leaders, anyone in the public eye, like anyone who thinks that. Their actions don't affect their employees mm. or their their coworkers or colleagues or family. In this right. case, yeah. 
Um, weird, weird other kind of like subplot to this. Uh, the son, Joseph Lipsy the fourth, the 19 year old, um, back in January was arrested on two counts of vehicular assault for driving his uh, Tesla Model X off a cliff with like four other teenagers in off it. Off a cliff? Yeah. Good it went off the road. Lord. Everyone went to the hospital. Um, and he got charged. He was apparently driving so recklessly that they hired him or they, they charged him for two counts of vehicular assault for injuring his own passengers. A, a, a cliff? I mean, not an embankment or a, okay. yeah, are we what? talking like a Bonnie and Clyde? Uh, I mean, it, like it, a, it was in Aspen, Colorado. And Louise, it was in Aspen, me. Colorado. You know, like, it's just like you to bring Tesla back into uh, into it with some negative media coverage. There's a really funny tweet by. Um, uh, well, uh, Jennifer Smith at Wall Street Journal who, who does logistics. She says, like, this is like a, a bucket list of, like, affluenza. She was, like, uh, driving a Tesla off a cliff, playfuls of cocaine. Right. Like, yeah. I think, I think it's safe to say one way or another, if you are interested in uh, getting some FEMA uh, contract business, oh. you may have an opportunity coming up here in the very near future. Yeah, because they were – Way to bring I mean, it back. They were literally one of the premier – Disaster relief contractors in the, in the country. So I mean, make sure you have enough truck capacity because the history is littered with the the corpses of those who have thought that they could handle disaster relief and were unable to. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I mean, that's you do have to deliver. Uh, you maybe one day they need zero truckloads and the next day it's six hundred truckloads uh, of water, too tents, bad. whatever. It's too bad that some of the di- disaster relief that's been in great need is in uh, Puerto Rico. And can't get a truck there. And you can't get a truck there. And you can't get a lot of vessels there either due to the, uh, uh, what is the? Um, oh, Jones Act. Thank you, Jones Act. Um, and, oh, and the massive we're gonna, amount we're of corruption. Try to, we're going to try to like weave this this story of this one cokehead into like all of our different hobby horses. <laughs> it's like the Tesla, supply the chain, Jones man. Act, it's the supply chain. Relief. We don't have any Everything's facts to support connected. the idea that Elon Musk is doing cocaine, but... He did stay up for a long time in that factory. I'm just saying. And I mean, he did sleep it on the floor. On the Joe Rogan. Yeah, podcast. we saw that. So, and Which that's a gateway love. drug, right? We love the Joe Rogan <laughs> podcast. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, um, well, uh, there is also this headline of denial: FedEx doesn't consider Amazon a competitor. Mm. Well, uh, apparently, the SEC uh, filings uh, beg to differ. Uh, no, but like you know, FedEx is so big, and they're like, no, we don't see little Amazon. Amazon, just, uh, <laughs> like they're so nice. And I know. That's, pat them on well, the yeah, head. That's and that's what you know. They're cute with their thirty planes and. <laughs> that, right. That's what Fred Smith says in public, right? But the what the some of their SEC filings tell a different story, right? Yes, according to Mark Solomon's reporting. What do you know about this, Ellis? I know that Mark Solomon is one of our best reporters, and uh, especially on this end of things, right? (laughs) All all things LTL, all things markets. Uh, LTL parcel the what? What the the Pentateuch of of like? Wow. Amazon, XPO, USPS, UPS, and FedEx. Correct. All the last mile guys who are huge in that space. It's the, the quint, quintum. You call it the Pentateuch, I not mean, the quint quintumvirate or the. Uh, I mean, there's, <laughs> yeah, the yeah, the, wow. the five, the five big uh, last mile players. Um, you know, he, and he, he's he he has so many sources. He talks to 
leadership at XPO. He talks to leadership at UPS. He talks to, you know, just he seems very well connected. Correct. And this and this Amazon deciding that uh, it's going to launch uh, some services that may run in parallel with uh, its one time vendors, uh, you know, including XPO, which lost a quote, large customer, you know, it's largest customer, which everyone knows to be Amazon. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, no one's really saying, but we're certain it's Amazon. Um, and part of the reason for that is we believe that Amazon thinks that it can do that business a little bit better than uh, some of the some of the people it's been paying to do it. And part of the rationale for that is there's a certain cost to delivery, and then you pay a little extra uh, for the margin, you know, so that everybody can make money, so that XPO can have you know, growth on its earnings statement. Well, what if you were to do that same work uh, at the same scale with the same costs, but keep that money and not pay it to XPO? Yeah. And, you know, I was actually having this conversation with Donnie Gilbert, one of our market experts uh, this morning. Basically, you know, if you're trying to imagine what kind of retailer is Amazon, hmm. um, I would say that, you know, out of the previous generation of retailers, the one that they're most like is something like Walmart. Massive scale, massive volume, low margin. The everything store for everybody. And Walmart has the largest private fleet of trucks Mm -hmm. of any other retailer. They actually um, satisfy their 90% of their transportation needs with their private fleet. So they only have to purchase or broker out 10%. Right. As opposed to even in the other top five shippers in the country, you know, say like Home Depot, they're really only around 40% in-house, you know, transportation. And so where does Amazon fall on that spectrum? Are they going to be more like Walmart and satisfy 90% of their stuff? Or are they going to be more like Home Depot? Now, I don't think, think they know yet. I mean, that would be my my guess is they want to see – you, you know, in, in, in development, I've, I've done a little bit of computer programming, things like that in my life. You have what you call edge cases. So you program for sort of the main thing you're trying to do. And then there's all these other things that the user is going to try to do about 5% of the time, 10% of the time. And that takes you as much time to deal with all those edge cases as it does to do the other 90%. And I think right. Amazon's going to try and figure out what can we do at a at a large scale, um, profitably and comfortably, and then can we just you know, broker out the edge cases? You know the hard stuff, the weird sized shipments or the you know the right. heavy shipments. Well, we don't want to. You know, you never want to have. You never want to have enough transportation in house to cover a hundred percent of your peak season needs. Correct. Because then, same as we were talking about with warehouses, you don't want to build. Exactly. You don't want to build for the edge cases. You want to build and right. then have stretch capacity, right. or just say, "Up, oh, sorry, it's going to take an extra day." Yeah, and so to the you know, so as Amazon starts figuring that out, I think we're going to see, obviously, Amazon purchasing more transportation assets. We're going to see them, you know, pooling or granting business to various transportation providers. You know. That's, that's going to continue to be worked out. Amazon might not know itself. They might have a strategic plan to be the largest LTL carrier in the U.S. Who knows? Maybe. But, uh, it, you know, but FedEx, you know, uh, they, you know, Amazon's a huge customer. Yeah, well, they're a huge so customer they of XPO. They don't, want to, they don't want them to be a competitor, you know? So that's, I think that's part of, like, they're a gigantic customer, and 
you know, yes, you know, privately they have to make these filings. But we talk about building for certain things, right? Like what what qualifies as a customer vendor relationship or other type of event where I'm going to add capacity and I'm going to add, I'm going to do CapEx spend to make my company bigger, right, to accommodate this customer. Amazon has been that customer. People have grown their fleets. They've added to their workforce. They've created new new positions, new people, new warehouses to accommodate Amazon. So when Amazon pulls that money, now you've got an overhang on the expense side in yeah. terms of oh, running yeah. your business. And, yeah. and that where are you going to get the freight to, to pick that up? You're going you're gonna to be cutting sense. some expenses is what's going to happen. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that's I think that's super interesting. I mean, I think when, you know, uh, executives of public – publicly traded companies issue statements about their competitors or customers, you really have to think about who are they actually talking to? Are they talking to their investors when they say that? Are they talking to their frenemy hmm. when they say that? <laughs> right. Um, you know, it would be, you know, if if Fred Smith were to say Amazon represents the largest threat to our business and we don't know what to do about it, that probably wouldn't be good for FedEx stock. Yeah. Um, but that could very well be the case. But they also, as a publicly traded company, they have a fiduciary duty to disclose threats to their business, and they have to do it in a timely manner from the time they learn about it. And And they rightfully consider Amazon a threat. Yeah, could be. Potential threat, yeah. Great to have you on here for this discussion. Ellis Smith, wow, this was fun. Like yeah, do you have a guitar? Am I? Are you? Are you? Are you what, kicking me out? Do I have to go? What yeah. a balanced contributor! Well, we yeah, we're, we're going to do big deal, little deal. We okay. have to do big deal, little deal, and um, we wouldn't want to put you on the spot and force <coughs> you to try to make the two minutes Ooh. under that. But you know, I'll time you. We can think about that. We can bring you in. Uh, okay, will you time us? That'd be great. Um, let's see. Let's start off with JP, and we are getting ready. JP, ready or not, here we go. The FMCSA Chief Martinez's reception at TCA marks improved relationship between regulators and industry. Big deal or little deal? It's a big deal. The uh, truckers that I've talked to have said that um, this agency is more open and flexible than anything they can remember. Trump budget plan boosts funding for major freight projects. Big deal or little deal? I think it's a little deal until you know he can get it through a divided Congress. Wagers, XPO's COO, leaves company after position is eliminated. Big deal or little deal? It's a little deal. Uh, it's, it's murky, and I don't think we've really sussed out the true causes of this termination. Freight rates from to China slide down the slippery slope. Big deal or little deal? It's a really big deal. It's not just about trade policy. It's also about um, the Chinese economy, which is in bad shape. Oil major BP announces new low-sulfur fuel. Big deal or little deal? I'm going to say little deal. We don't know what's going to happen with IMO 2020. Mm. Many, there is a lot of compliance happening so far. Hydrogen, not batteries, seen as the fuel for carbon-free trucking in the long run. Big deal or little deal? Little deal. Nothing shocking here. We don't know about the technology for batteries, and we've been hearing about hydrogen's efficacy for quite some time. LNG market ignites Jones Act debate on Capitol Hill. Big deal or little deal? I'm going to say big deal just because of the uh, ambition of the proposal, it being a 10-year plan, and lots of people on both sides of the aisle are against it, and for bringing down rates for Puerto Rico, Hawaii, and Alaska. Bumblebee Foods is tracking seafood across global supply chains through blockchain. 
big deal or a little deal? Let's say big deal again. It's all a process, but you know, like, hey, let's trace some food with blockchain. And uh, I love, I love the coverage for this. Boom. One minute fifty. Nice job, gentlemen. What happened? That's the first time in like five consecutive weeks. <clears throat> Man, <sighs> feels good. Feels Shake good. it up. It was, it was the Ooh. two-hearted, dude. Shake it up. We barely, we missed it by two seconds last week. It was week. the two-hearted. <laughs> Is that you needed your inspiration? Yeah. Good. Uh, hey, awesome times. Well, th- the time that I decided to drink water was what kicked off the whole, like, our slide into, like, <laughs> that mediocrity. So uh, thank you to Bell's Two Hearted. Thank you to Hutton and Smith and their Igneous IPA. Thank you to Redwood Logistics, of course, uh, get once again. Uh, and our production manager, Jonathan Smith, for uh, no all, relation. just all kinds of uh, feedback that he's given us throughout this podcast including telling JP all the right answers. <laughs> all right. Ellis, good to have you on too, bro. Thanks for having me. All right. all right. See you guys next week. As always, we go into more detail about each of the topics we've talked about today on our website, FreightWaves.com. We will continue to publish this podcast weekly, so be sure to subscribe to What the Truck on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Also, make sure to leave us a review to let us know what you think of our new podcast. That'll do it for today. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week on What What the the truck. Truck.